The loss of a baby, no matter how early in pregnancy, is real, and so is the grief that comes with it. How do you cope with losing a child? What are some of the challenges? And how can you find the support you need to deal with this difficult experience? I'm Yvonne Rothermel, a licensed clinical social worker specializing in postpartum mood disorders, birth trauma, and infant loss. And this is Preggy Pals, episode 33. Um, is that a plus sign? Pink or blue? Hospital or home birth? What type of food should I be eating? I think I just peed myself. I'm pregnant. And I have to exercise? What pregnancy glow? Wait, was that a contraction? (laughs) Gotta make these pants fit! I've got cankles! What do you mean there's more than one? You've got the symptoms, and now you've got the support you need for a happy nine months. This is Preggy Pals, your pregnancy, your way. Welcome to Preggy Pals, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. I'm your host, Sunny Galt. Have you heard about the Preggy Pals Club? This is our exclusive membership club for all of our loyal listeners. You get all of our archived episodes, bonus material after every new show, and special giveaways and discounts. Visit our website, preggypals.com, for more information. Okay, so before we get started with today's show, we're going to introduce our panelists here in the studio. And all of our panelists today have experienced miscarriage first time, sometimes multiple times. So um, here are our ladies. Emily, let's start with you. Okay, my name is Emily Hansen-Trent. I'm 30 years old. Um, I'm a cook, and I don't have any of my own children yet. I do have an eight-year-old stepson who's awesome. Um, I have experienced three unsuccessful pregnancies. The first was a miscarriage very early on, and the second and third had to be medically terminated because of a fatal birth defect called serenamelia. Okay, Deborah. My name is Deborah Boswell. I'm 44 years old. Um, I'm a stay-at-home mom, and I have two beautiful daughters. I lost two pregnancies, um, like Emily, and my first one was very early on. Um, the doctor said that it probably just never really took. And, um, and then the second was a medical termination, and that was due to um, Down syndrome that was terminal. Okay, and both of those pregnancies were prior to having your girls, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay, Suzanne? Hi, uh, I'm Suzanne Wells. Um, I'm 43. Uh, I'm a research scientist, and um, I have two sons that are 9 and 10. Uh, Those were my first two pregnancies, um, both full-term and healthy. I then lost my next three pregnancies after that. Um, The first loss was a 13-week miscarriage. The second was um, at 15 weeks, I had a premature rupture of uh, my amniotic fluid due to um, an intrauterine infection called chorioamnionitis. My third loss was an eight-week miscarriage again. Okay. Thank you, ladies, for being here. We have a comment from one of our listeners. This comes from Carrie of Oregon, and she sends us this message through Facebook. Carrie says, Hi, Preggy Pals. I've been listening to your show ever since I found out I was pregnant. Being a first-time mom, I have a lot of questions about breastfeeding, so your recent episode listing the top 10 reasons to breastfeed was very helpful to me. In fact, I downloaded it through my app so I could refer to it after the baby is born, just in case I need some reassurance. You always hear that breast is best, but knowing the ins and outs of why is also really important. Thanks for providing us soon-to-be moms with such a great resource. Well, thank you so much, Carrie, for sending us this lovely message through Facebook. Of course, if you guys want some great information about breastfeeding during pregnancy or after you've had your baby, be sure to check out our sister show, The Boop Group, at theboopgroup.com. 
Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are, leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Today we are debuting a two-part series focused on loss, specifically miscarriage and stillbirth. This is a topic that many of our listeners have asked for, and while it's a difficult topic to talk about, we feel it's very important to explore all aspects of pregnancy, and unfortunately, loss of a child does occur. Now, this episode is not intended to scare you, but to provide you with information for you or a friend who may need to deal with this difficult experience. Yvonne Rothermel will be our expert for this two-part series. Yvonne is a licensed clinical social worker specializing in loss. Yvonne, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. So let's start off the show by talking about some terms, um, some definitions here. Let's talk about what a miscarriage is, a stillbirth, and then also a medical termination. Well, oftentimes people think of miscarriage as just in the first 12 weeks, but actually miscarriage is anything before the 20th week of pregnancy, and stillbirth is anything after the 20th week of pregnancy. Um, And medical termination can include a lot of different things. Um, It can be due to a medical reason with the mother, a poor perinatal diagnosis, a diagnosis that's incompatible with life, and for the health of another fetus, so say selective reduction, which you see often in multiple pregnancies. Okay. Now, panelists, given the these terms that we've just explained, what, which of these terms, I guess, best, you know, describes your situation? Um, Emily, let's start with you. Um, My first pregnancy, I was lost because of a miscarriage. That was very early on. My second and third pregnancies were, had to be uh, medically terminated. Okay. All right. And Deborah? My first pregnancy was also a miscarriage very early on. And my second pregnancy was a medical termination. Okay. And Suzanne? Um, my first loss was um, a miscarriage. My second was, I guess, uh, I would consider, well, I guess we'll talk more later, a medical termination. And my third was a miscarriage. So let's talk about that panelist a little more in depth with your own specific situations. I guess let's just talk about what your experience was like um, for your miscarriages when they were early. I know you guys have some that were early in your pregnancies. Emily, let's start with you. Okay. Um my the miscarriage that I had was you know I had just taken a pregnancy test at home I hadn't even gone to see a doctor um you know of course I shared the news with my husband we were both really excited about it and we had actually just gone on a trip to the east coast to visit my family and told my entire family (laughs) cousins and aunts and everything and while we were on that trip is when I experienced a miscarriage so um because I was so excited about it it was very of course sad um and kind of like bewildering and it was even a little bit I experienced a kind of like different and maybe more intense sadness than I did with the subsequent losses that I had just because the subsequent ones I was a little bit more I guess mentally prepared for having experienced those first the first one and the you know the second one Mm -hmm. Um, so even though it was very early on and I hadn't even gone to see a doctor or gotten an ultrasound or anything, it was, you know, I was kind of like, oh, I was really <laughs> sad and freaked out. And 
you know, that's what happened with the first one with the miscarriage. But then later on, I had, you know, some more significant issues going on. Deborah, let's let's talk about your situation. Oh, well, it, was, it was similar for me uh, that it was it was very early on and I had just taken the pregnancy test. I, I had gone to see the doctor, um, but just just to have another pregnancy test, just that they confirmed that I was pregnant with the blood test. Um, but then it was only less than two weeks later. And um that I had the miscarriage and went into the emergency room and they didn't see the pregnancy. Um, and I felt I was I, I felt very, very sad and it, it seemed like the end of the world to me mm-hmm. at the time, even though it was so early on. However, I, I, I felt like the doctors and the people around me just kind of made it made made it seem rather trivial. Um, like it was so early, I shouldn't even be concerned about it. Mm, um, you right. know, they make pregnancy tests very sensitive now, and right. women find out so much earlier than they would have. And so we become very attached to the idea of being pregnant. And so, um, but to me, it it was the end of the world at yeah. that time. And then um, later, when the the following um, pregnancy occurred and and everything that happened with that took place. Um, it, it it of course overshadowed. At least for me, it 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 was a much more devastating loss. What happened um, because we were so much more cautious mm-hmm. about telling anybody. We we told everybody right away the first time. Um, as soon as we took that pregnancy test, right. we, we announced, and then um, it was over in yeah. the blink of an eye, and yeah. then. Um, when we got pregnant the second time, we waited and we followed the rule, the three-month rule mm-hmm. that you don't tell anybody until you're three months along. And it was a great big family announcement. And then um, not too long after that, only um, about two months later was when we found out that, that what was going to happen with that pregnancy. And right. um so it was much more devastating for us then because it it felt so much more permanent and um i almost don't even think about the first pregnancy mm-hmm. anymore because it also i think partly because of what they told me too yeah. that i kind of came to believe that it wasn't as significant because right. it was so early. Yeah. So, Yvonne, is that common? Um, it's kind of shocking to me. I guess it shouldn't be that that um, sometimes medical providers uh, dismiss uh, it. It's unfortunately it happens all the time. If you have someone who has really good supportive care, you're so lucky because although I think people in the medical profession they they mean well mm-hmm. and they see this all the time. Um, but for, you know, the families, this may be the first time they're going through it, and it can be very devastating. And um, we also live in a culture that tends to minimize grief. Uh, I, I recently went to a conference where someone uh, cited a study where they asked people in the street, how long's grief last? And people said, oh, you know, two to three weeks. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're living in a culture that doesn't recognize grief. And for moms and dads that go through this, it's incredibly difficult to try to grieve in in an environment like that because it's not recognized, it's not validated, um, and it's very, very difficult. Okay. Um, Suzanne, let's talk about your experience. Um, For me, my first two pregnancies resulted in two healthy children. So the first pregnancy that I lost was actually my third pregnancy. And I had seen a doctor at 11 and a half weeks, I believe, and things were looking good. And um, 
you know, as we had done previously, we told everybody right away. I mean, mm-hmm. we were excited and we'd been planning this and, and hoping for this. And we'd always been fortunate to conceive rather easily. So had no reason to think that anything was, was wrong. Um, but about a week later, I started having some spotting and um, it, it ended up resulting that that uh, the baby's heartbeat had stopped. Um, but I was actually at the hospital taking, uh, they offer a class for um, people that are going to get an amniocentesis. Mm-hmm. And I was actually attending that class at the time. And I thought, well, I'm just here. I'll just go upstairs and have them take a look. But I'm sure everything's fine. And um, they spent quite a while looking. And I just, I think the overwhelming feeling was shock, disbelief, and denial. Um, because be- you had two healthy children. Right. Already. I thought, what, what? I remember specifically thinking, you know, if I were them and I were looking at this ultrasound, I would probably think the same thing, but they're wrong. They must be wrong. How can, I'm not, you know, I'm not having any pain. Of course, the pain came, you know, within a day. Uh, But I just remember saying, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? And I was very fortunate to receive very compassionate care um, during that experience. Um, So... I think for me, it was just, you know, like I said, because I had had the uh, the two pregnancies that had ended well, um, I just was very, very shocked and, and, of course, deeply saddened. Okay. You know, what I see that often happens is that you go through a loss and at the time you're going through it, it feels surreal, like you're in a fog. And that's when everyone comes around you and provides support. And then a couple months later, when the fog lifts, and then you're really starting to feel the impact of what happened, everyone's going about their life, everyone thinks that you're better. And that's the time that can be so hard and so lonely in your loss. Right. When it comes to support, I know that has to be really important when going through any kind of emotional time in your life. So let's talk about the support that you did receive and how that helped you through this process. I'm going to start with you. Um... Well, my family, of course, was extremely supportive of me, especially my, you know, my mother, my father, my sister, <clears throat> and also my husband. Um, cousins, aunts, and uncles were also supportive, but um, my immediate family were, of course, my husband was right there with me, and he was experiencing with me, so he was very sweet and gentle and compassionate, compassionate with me. Um, and my parents, even though they're far away, like called me often, and that helped. Um, my friends that were very helpful to me in their responses to me and some friends and a lot of coworkers and a lot of kind of acquaintances in my life that were not um, helpful to me. So I had to kind of pick and choose who I could reach out to. There just were a few select people who really knew what, like, what to say, the right things to say. I think the majority of people didn't know what to say um, or how to respond to me. So um, I did have support, but um, I ended up kind of doing my own thing with my healing. Um, I didn't really find any like support online or in community groups. I didn't really know what to look for. So I ended up just kind of keeping to my own family and friends and finding my own ways to heal myself. 
Emily and Deborah's type of loss with the medical termination, you know, I think it's really one of the most under-supported losses. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to find support for women who've gone through medical terminations because oftentimes there's a lot of fear of talking about it for fear of judgment. Okay. Um, and so I know, Emily, we had talked, it's very hard on the internet when you do a search really to find supportive places. But there is one site that's very good, which is the heartbreakingchoice.com. So if anybody's out there listening who is looking for a non-biased support, that's a really good place to go. It was interesting to me to kind of experience how people reacted to me. Um, People that I expected to be very supportive and compassionate, some of them, I was surprised to find out that they couldn't really handle the situation, talking about it. And some people that I knew very... I didn't, some people that I didn't know very well were remarkable in how compassionate they were towards me. So it was, it was interesting to kind of um, see how people can, can deal with other people's grief, even if they may be close in your life or not, or not close. Right. Deborah, what did support look like for you? I had a lot of support from my husband and my immediate family. Um, All of my friends in our, in our circle were very supportive. However, I found that I backed away from many of my friends, especially those who'd had children and their pregnancies didn't have any complications. I just felt that I couldn't relate to them at the time and I and I just didn't didn't feel like being reminded mm-hmm. of it was just another reminder of of what could have been right. that wasn't. And um I felt a lack of support from um, outside services. I didn't really feel like there was support for me out there. Um, The circumstances of our pregnancy, we were working with a genetics counselor, and I I felt pretty close to her. She was very helpful. Um, There was a counselor at the hospital who um, gave me some information on support groups but warned me that they may be judgmental of our circumstances. And so I, mm. I really didn't even bother um, trying to go through those organizations. And I didn't really bond with her in it, it was just, we didn't really connect, but I did have a connection with the genetics counselor, and she was really helpful. Um, so at first, I felt very isolated and alone, and um, didn't really know where to turn. And then eventually um, she matched me with someone who had gone through the same experience under the same circumstances, who had a similar personality, and she felt we, we might be able to talk. And wow, that's um, great. she gave me her number and she called me, and it was, it was, she was very helpful. And it just felt so good to be able to talk to somebody who, who had gone through the same thing, but also then mm-hmm. she, at that time, she had had um, successful pregnancies, pregnancies that didn't okay. um, have that outcome. And so it 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 was a big comfort to me Good. to talk to her. Good. Suzanne, what about you? Um, as I'm hearing them talk, I'm thinking um, both from my own experience and also the experience of the callers that have called into Empty Cradle. Because you're part of Empty Cradle. You work with Empty Cradle. Um, yes. Okay. Um, these are people who have experienced pregnancy loss under a variety of circumstances. And I think the one common thread is uh, that we try to provide to everyone is just that you're not alone. And it sounds, I know that's such a cliche statement that people use all the time, but it's really so important. I think especially um, like for me, the second loss, which was um, a a complicated loss, um, I felt like 
gosh, this happened to me already. Why is this? And I didn't realize, sadly, that it does happen to lots of families. Um, And just knowing uh, that it does happen and that there's hope Mm -hmm. for healing and that people have not only survived the experience, but have actually come to a place of acceptance and peace and getting out of that place where you're just so devastated. Mm-hmm. Yvonne, I want to talk about grief and how men and women express grief differently. I'm trying to relate to the stories that you women are, are sharing with us today. And even though I haven't lost my own child, I don't know what you're going through, but I have experienced the loss of a sibling. And yeah. um, I know that that can tear families apart. Right. In my family, it actually brought us together, but it's because we were very right. intentional right. about it. This is not going to separate right. us. This is going to bring us together. Right. And I'm just wondering what that grief process looks like and what we should be aware of when going through something like this. Well, you know what, what I hear very commonly in my practice is that uh, initially when the loss happens, there's a real coming together. Um, but as the grief moves on, oftentimes couples grieve differently. And and there's instrumental grievers who uh, deal with grief more cognitively, might get real busy. And then there's intuitive grievers who tend to, to really want the emotional support um, and social support. And when you have the different, and this can be, t- typically men are, are seen as more instrumental grievers, but that's not always the case. Some women can be that as well. But what happens is you have this, this difference in grieving, and then that can lead to a lot of misunderstandings. Like a lot of moms may feel like, why isn't he grieving? Right. You know, why I'm so alone in this? Where's his grief. And oftentimes with dads, you often see a delayed grief because dads have this protective measure that they're trying to take care of mom when she's having a hard time. And sometimes moms are very surprised to find at the year anniversary, dad's breaking down. Um, Or you see a seesaw effect. Mom's doing better. Dad feels down. Dad's doing better. Mom feels down. There's a way they, there's kind of a rhythm to that. And so all these things can really lead to a lot of miscommunication. Um, But I'd really like to say that there's real myth out there that once you lose your baby, you're going to lose your marriage. Like it's going to, you know, everything's going to Everything's going to unravel. And Compassionate Friends, which is one of the biggest organizations in the United States uh, for bereaved parents, did a study, two studies actually, and found that, you know, bereaved parents are more, uh, not any more likely to divorce than than other groups. So I I think it's an important myth to dispel because then when you lose your baby, you think, oh gosh, now I'm going to lose my family. And that's going to, that's not necessarily the case, but you do need to keep your communication lines open and respect each other's different ways of grieving. Right. What advice do you have for those women whose husbands, maybe they are experiencing the grief, but they're not showing it. And therefore the woman just doesn't know what to do. Right. You know, I think educating moms a lot on, on ways that dads often grieve differently and and what that looks like Mm -hmm. is important. I think bringing dads into the process, into the fold is important. Dads are often really forgot about in this whole process Mm -hmm. and dads have their own feelings about it. And and often, as Suzanne said, they feel incredibly helpless about it and they don't know what to do and they see mom upset and they don't know how to fix it. You know, men like to kind of make things better and fix it. People Um, are always asking, how's your wife doing? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. They don't even. Right. They don't even acknowledge that perhaps he's Yes. Devastated as well. Sure. And then, of course, yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and you know, some, it, it, like uh, Suzanne had said, in early losses, you know, I think men attach the pregnancy as it goes along, you know. Uh, and so in the earlier losses, it may be harder, harder, you know, uh, not for everybody, but for some. And I think we really have to work on getting women's support 
you know, outside the relationship too sometimes um, as well and making sure they're supported. Um, and also, you know, lame, it doesn't mean he's a bad guy. You know, you didn't marry the wrong person. Right. <laughs> it's just that they have different ways of dealing and coping with situations. Okay. I think too that it's so different with men and women dealing with the loss of a pregnancy because I know that when I had my losses my body just felt so lonely like my body just felt like empty and like sad and he had more of like a intellectual sadness Mm -hmm. which I also had you know I was I also lost the expectations and everything like that but my body just like I just it was like a physical feeling that he didn't have so I think you know like Yvonne said like definitely communicating with each other um and talking about what you're actually feeling like physically and emotionally I think is really important yeah. Yvonne, is that, is that what's referred to as a secondary loss? Well, secondary losses are any losses that come about as a result of your first loss. So yes, I mean, I mean, feeling like you're not communicating with your partner as a result of loss can be a secondary loss. One of the big ones is this loss of the blissful naivete that you see other pregnant women the have. The pregnancy glow and all yes, of that. Yes, that yeah. is lost. Yeah. It really is lost for, for moms who've been through loss because you don't ever take it for granted. You've been on the other side of that statistic. Mm-hmm. So you, it's very hard to be reassured that right. things are going to be okay. And so, yeah, those are secondary losses, all those things. As Emily said, certain friends who she maybe thought would come through who didn't, that's mm-hmm. a secondary loss. A lot of moms talk about that yeah. and dads that they don't, some of the friends, you really know who your friends are in this. Right. Um, and I think grief, you know, it's like a deer in headlights. People do not know what to say and do. And I just tell people out there, you just have to show up. Okay. You just have to be there. You have to be a presence. Um, um, you know, find ways to help. Don't wait for them to call you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, just sure. a simple, I'm sorry. Right. I love you. I'm sorry. Right. Or I don't know what to I say, but I'm here. Yes. Right. One other aspect of men's uh, partners grieving is that my husband shared with me that he was actually almost in a way afraid to show because I was grieving so deeply and I was so sad. He was afraid to really show. It sounds strange because we're very close, uh, but at the same time, he he. What ended up happening is his one of his close friends had lost his father um, within a period of weeks prior to our loss, and that was a very profound loss for him. So the two of them went and had a beer. Mm-hmm. and talked and he said he felt more comfortable uh sharing with his friend John because um he he wanted to be strong for me I see so that can happen and and but sometimes we misinterpret that as that they're that not they don't care. sad yeah, right they're not so. feeling the same thing yeah Right. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more after the break. So when we come back, we're going to talk about ways you can get the help you need after losing a child and ways you can approach this delicate topic with friends and loved ones. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Today we are talking about miscarriage and stillbirth, dealing with loss. This is part of a two-part series that we're doing. And Yvonne Rothermel is our expert. She's a licensed clinical social worker. And uh, prior to going into the break, we started to talk a little bit about what do you say to someone who is enduring loss, who's just lost a child. And um, Yvonne, I want to throw this over to you first. Um, What are some of your recommendations? And then we'll ask some of the panelists what worked for them, what didn't work, what should you say, what should you not say? Uh, first of all, 
if you don't know what to say, don't avoid the person because that's okay. the worst thing you can do because that just adds to the isolation and loneliness. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, just saying, I don't know what to say. I just want to give you a hug and I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. I think it's not okay to offer cliches like, oh, you can get pregnant again. Oh, you know, uh, there's this, sometimes people see these losses as replaceable and every pregnancy and every baby needs to be mourned. And so you don't want to minimize at all their loss. Um, so I think that's important. And I think also not saying but doing is important Mm -hmm. where you um, can you know show up Um, maybe if they have other kids you can help carpool you can get a food tree going you can what's really helpful I think is getting a memorial fund together of friends who just get you know donate a little bit and give it to them for them to buy a bench or buy a star that they name after them some sort of you know active thing plant a garden a tree you know it just show up. That's the most important thing. Don't go away because mm-hmm. that's the worst thing you can do for people. Okay. Uh, I also think, you know, there's a myth out there that if you bring it up, you're going to upset the person. Mm-hmm. But the truth is it's on their mind 24-7. Right. So, you know, by bringing it up and saying, hey, you know, how are you? I've been thinking about you. How are you doing? And then use the baby's name if they named it. How's um, how's Maya doing? T- I'm thinking about you and Maya. How are you doing with all that? Or, you know, t- just bringing it up because bringing it up is not going to make them usually in most cases not more sad. It right. may for some people, but usually not because they're thinking about it anyway. Right. Right. Suzanne, let's start with you. What um, what did people say? What worked? What didn't work? Like Yvonne said, um, just being present, there's there's nothing you can say right. to, to really make that person feel better. There's no magic words or sentence that you can offer them. So just simply uh, expressing love and support. Um, I'm sorry. It yeah. really speaks volumes. And again, not minimizing the loss. One of the kindest things that one of my friends, who interestingly is not doesn't have children, is not married, she's single, she bought a book for my children um, called We Were Going to Have a Baby, But We Had an Angel Instead, and she sent it to them. And it's a beautiful book, and it's meant for children. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought that was a very beautiful gesture, um, especially coming from someone who doesn't have a family, yeah. you know. To, um, so that was a very, very thoughtful and kind thing. Perhaps not saying I understand if if you really haven't experienced any sort of profound loss in, in your life. Um, it may not feel mm-hmm. like a loving comment. Right. But to me, I, I really, I never felt resentful of anyone who was trying, yeah. who was trying to be supportive. You know, my own mother was unfortunately not one of the most supportive people. Um you know, she kept saying, well, why do you keep trying to get pregnant? Why do you ke- why do you keep doing that? And, um, you know, rather than when I would share news of being pregnant, she would say, oh, ooh, oh, you know. Mm. Um, so put doubt in your mind even. Right. Um, I, I don't know so much if it was doubt so much as I, I just wanted her to celebrate the pregnancy with me because yeah. it, we get we, we celebrate each pregnancy. We don't know how it's going to end, but we celebrate each pregnancy. Right. Deborah, tell us about your situation. What worked? What, what didn't work? The same thing. Mm-hmm. Saying, I'm sorry. I'm here. Just knowing that that they were there and my friends were not backing away from me. They they weren't hiding from me. And like I said, I was shying away from them 
for right. for uh, my own reasons, but I knew that they were there and and they were supportive. They they all called. They all um, sent cards and brought by meals because we certainly weren't cooking and right. eating and right. you know. So they were just anything that they could think of to try to make life easier for us at that time. They were doing whether I responded to them, you know, in the way that that they expected me to or not. They right. they still. They still were there, even though I was shying away. And um, that was what I needed. One thing that uh, people may not know, and I've heard this from a lot of uh, bereaved parents, including myself, um, that sending a bouquet, though it's, it's a thoughtful, kind idea, for many of us, it feels like something else we have to take care of. Mm-hmm and then it's going to die, and we'll have to throw the dead flowers away. Oh, my goodness, I didn't even think of that. And, yeah, well, why would you? Right, <laughs> it's right. not intuitive, but I will tell you, I when when I received flowers, my first thought was, oh, thank you, and then it was, oh, God, I have to care for this. Mm. And then, it, it, but it's, old, it's cut flowers, it's going to die. And it's just another, d- it, it sounds strange, but I've met other families where that was a shared experience, but a you know, or even a potted plant. Again, I have to water it. I have to care for it. Mm-hmm. So, but in those early days, you're you're just trying to survive. I think so. Perhaps, um, like Yvonne said, you know, planting something in that child's memory would be a, a much more uh, profound uh, gift to the bereaved family than sending them a plant. Yeah, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think. Yeah. Um, anyone can really answer this, but I'm wondering how quickly should someone reach out? I mean, can you do it right away? A lot of times when I know people are grieving, I'm thinking, you know, they may just need some time to themselves in the very beginning or with their spouse or whatever, you know, your situation is. Um, is that true? Or do you do you want everyone, you know, at your side? I mean, I, this may depend on the person again. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, that's very individual. Okay. Uh, and luckily with technology, we have lots of ways to reach out that's yeah. non-intrusive, right? Through right. email or give a text just saying, I'm thinking of you. And, you know, yeah. even if people like back away, which I think is very common, you right. know, you back away for a while, kind of go cocoon. Yeah. And, and I, still getting emails and just saying, you know what, you don't have to respond right. to this, but I'm just thinking about you. I love that you said that because I think that relieves the pressure for you guys to feel like, oh, now I've got to answer all these emails. They're going to be mad at me. I mean, I don't even know if that's going through your head, but I would, you know, I don't want to add, nobody wants to add more pressure. They want to help. That's why they're reaching out. So I like that idea of saying, you don't have to respond. Don't worry. I just want you to know if you need me, I'm here. I was going to say one, sometimes people say, how can I help? One of the, the most helpful things for many families is sending that initial email uh, to l- l- let people know what has happened mm. so that we don't have to repeat the story over right. and over in those early days. That's a very helpful thing to But obviously do. to go to you first. Of course, yes. <laughs> yeah. But what I'm saying is um, sometimes y- perhaps one could ask, you know, ha- has have you notified? Are there, is there some people I could notify? Would that be helpful for you? Yeah. Um, I remember sitting and hearing my phone ring and hearing the message and being grateful that they called, not in a place to pick up the phone, right. but grateful that they called. Right. So sure. One thing that was not helpful to me, some people had said to me, you know, oh, well, there's a reason for everything. 
that was not helpful to me mm-hmm. in any way because I was like Suzanne was saying, I was just trying to like get through the day. I was trying to like survive the day. And I don't want to like intellectually explore, okay, what is the reason for this? And yeah. am I at fault or did I do something wrong or is there something wrong with me? Because in, in my case, like my pregnancies had to be terminated because of a very rare defect that there is very little known about. Um, so to kind of like even allow myself to explore possibilities of that, that I was at fault or that there's some kind of like grand cosmic reason for this happening to me, not helpful, at least in that very initial phase. Um, but one thing that was like extremely helpful to me and it was just such a small gesture, but it was so such a relief to me was, I mean, I was at work and I'm a cook, so I work in a kitchen and um, a coworker of mine was getting a cup of coffee and he just asked me how my day was and he had no idea what was actually happening. And I started to like tear up and get kind of like quivery chin and all that. And he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I told him he had known that I was, that I was pregnant. Um, and I told him kind of generally like the very surface level thing of that, what had happened. And he just said, thank you for telling me that. And I was like, oh, it's, it was such a weight off my shoulders because in a situation where you're like a, you know, having a baby is like such a happy thing and pregnancy is such a happy thing and it's, that's the way it should be. But when you lose a baby, like Yvonne said, a lot of people avoid talking to you because they don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. So then that makes me not know what to say to other people and I don't know when to say, like, can I talk to you about this or I just want to, like, mm-hmm. vent on you or whatever because I don't want to be bringing people down too. Right. So for him to just say thank you for sharing that with me was so like amazingly awesome because I just felt like, oh, wow, like you can be here and share the space with me and like hear me say my problem and not be like trying to fix it. Yeah. Or like be affected by it or be all bummed out and, you know, weird. So if you don't know what to say, just say, you know, thank you for sharing that with me because that was awesome of him to do that. Yeah. Well, speaking of sharing, I want to thank you guys for being here today and for sharing your experiences with us and with our listeners. I really think that this could help a lot of women out there, and I think you're very brave to share your stories, and um, I'm sorry for your experiences, but again, if we can help other people, you know, by going through stuff like this, um, we're certainly going to try. So thank you guys for being here. Thank you. Thank you. I know we didn't talk too much about the various resources available to bereaved parents, but we will link to those resources on the episode page on our website. Before we wrap today's show, here's Jeanette McCulloch with some of the best online pregnancy resources. Hello, Peggy Pals. I'm Jeanette McCulloch of Birthswell. We at Birthswell believe that you as a mother will make the right decisions for your pregnancy and birth when you have access to evidence-based information and a strong support system. That's why I'm here to share with you new media tools to find the information that's right for you. Today, about one in three women in the United States will give birth by cesarean section. If you have had a surgical birth and are pregnant again, you may be considering a vaginal birth after cesarean, commonly known as a VBAC. 45% of mothers are interested in VBAC, but most deliver by a repeat cesarean section. Why? In some cases, the repeat surgery is medically necessary. But other mothers tell us that they don't feel like they have the information that they needed to make the right decision for their family, or they can't find a provider, or they don't know all the options, including, in some areas, home birth. VBACFacts.com was created by a mom whose first baby was delivered surgically 
and she wanted something different for her next birth. She was frustrated by what was available online. She wanted to know the research, to know the risks, and to know her options. After her VBAC, she launched the site for other mothers looking for information. Wondering about the risk of uterine rupture, which is the most common complication of VBAC, or the relative risks of a repeat surgical birth, you'll find it at her site, along with a comprehensive list of resources for finding a VBAC-friendly provider. She also shares a step-by-step -step plan for women considering a vaginal birth, including tips for talking to those who question your plan. You can also get your questions answered at the very active VBAC Facts community over on Facebook. Just follow the links from the website at vbacfacts.com. Thanks for listening to today's tools for finding the information that's right for you. And be sure to listen to Peggy Pals for more great pregnancy tips in the future. That wraps up our show for today. If you have questions for Yvonne about the topics we discussed today or other issues dealing with loss, you can send us an email through our website or call our Preggy Pals hotline at 619-866-4775 and we'll get your questions answered. For members of the Preggy Pals Club, this conversation continues as we explore blame as it relates to losing a child. Many parents blame themselves for the loss. So how do you overcome that? Coming up next week, we are continuing our two-part series by focusing on pregnancy after loss, so we hope you'll join us for that. Thanks for listening to Preggy Pals, your pregnancy, your way. This has been a new Mommy Media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of new Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care, and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.